Um, listen, open your Bibles with me. Let me invite you to open up the Word of God to Matthew chapter 4. First Gospel, New Testament, Matthew 4. As most of you know, if you uh, weren't here last week, we started a brand new series last week called A New Season, A New Soul is what it's called. It's really, really diving into, um, to really looking into ourself. Uh, David said to the Lord in one of his Psalms, he said, Lord, I think it's Psalm 139, he said, Lord, cross-examine me and see what I'm about. We have to go through that occasionally because sometimes we can just get full of a lot of things and our souls can get cluttered and contaminated and we mentioned that last week. It's a new season, a new soul. While you're turning to Matthew 4, I just want to read a couple of scriptures out of 2 Corinthians, kind of the foundational text of this series, kind of the thoughts where this springboards from. It's on the screen. You can follow it on the screen here in 2 Corinthians. Here we go. It says, Paul says this, he says that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Aren't you glad for that? We forget that sometimes. It says, the old life is gone. A new life has begun. It says, we live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us. What an aim of life for that is. And no one will find fault with our ministry. That we wait patiently, or excuse me, we patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. Says we serve God, whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but we they call us imposters. We are ignored, even though we are well known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache. But we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. And we own nothing, yet we have everything. What a statement from Paul. How can Paul have such a positive outlook and vision for life in such having facing and, and, and having faced such difficult problems and people. How does he not live angry and bitter and resentful and vengeful and hateful at people as a result of having to go through what was just called life? Not everybody can get through this and go through life not living that way, but Paul did it. How does he do it? How does Paul live free from being held hostage from hardships, discouraged by disappointments, or perhaps paralyzed by life's perplexities? How does Paul do such a thing? Well, what I believe is this, is that Paul learned to live and develop a healthy soul. He didn't allow his soul to stick and to be sticky from stuff that's not good. He developed a happy, healthy, 
soul. And friends, so can we. So can you and so can I. So can we. we. You and I can live life with a healthy soul, not living, run down, beat down, angered, full of resentment or bitterness or offense, contaminated, toxic, if you will. We don't have to live that way. We don't. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day and this opportunity to get into your word. Oftentimes, such habit and routine every Sunday. But today, I pray you would break that up in our hearts. That we would not casually approach your word today. But Lord, we would truly desire your word today. Teach us this day, O oh God. Teach us. Speak to us. You have something to say to our life that will help us. Not just help us to be a better person, but help us to grow in more in love with you and closer to you. As a result, it does make us a better person. Open our eyes to let us see. Open our ears to let us hear. Open our hearts to let us receive, O oh God. And Open our lives up to live what you call us to live. And now I ask that you would help me, grace me, empower me, and anoint me, God, to speak your word in this moment. That you would guard my heart. Lord, you would govern my words. And that you would guide my thoughts. Help me to be in tune with your spirit at this moment in time, I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Everybody awake? I know it's a little cloudy and a little cool outside, but let's not let the fall take us down. All right, everybody good? Everybody take a deep breath. Get that blood going again. Thank you, Jake. Appreciate you, my friend, brother. In 1997, IBM, their engineers, they created a computer by the name of Deep Blue. Deep Blue was the computer that was responsible for defeating the chess grandmaster Garry Kasparov. This computer was built with 32 processing engines that could, that could think over 200 million moves per second. I mean, that's, that's lightning fast, way fast. It's pretty fast. You know, I look at life, our life is a whole lot like a chess game. And our soul... Our soul is a whole lot like the king in the chess game. I've titled today's message in this series, The Soul's Need. The Soul's Need. Our souls are a lot like this king, the piece in, the, in this game. You see, the king is a very vulnerable piece because if you lose the king, you lose the game. There's no way around that. You lose the king, you lose the game, and our souls are vulnerable like the king. If we lose our soul, we lose the game of life. You see, our souls are like the king. They're needy. And the thing is, if we don't, if we don't feed our souls and with the right things, then for us, it doesn't look good not only in life, but it doesn't look good after life. You see, the thing about our needs is this, is that our needs are meant to point us to God. 
You see the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6. They wanted to learn how to pray. And he said, pray in this way. Learn to pray like this. And part of the prayer is this. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Now, I know we want to put yearly bread in there because we'd like to just get up and start off January 1 and live 365 days just not even thinking about anything for the whole year, not thinking about God, not thinking about where this will come from or that will come from. But the Lord doesn't work that way because He creates us to have a, day, a daily dependent need on Him. See, our souls need God. Everybody with me? Our souls need God. And oftentimes we devote ourselves to other sources other than God sometimes. And the Bible calls that idolatry. Now I know... Today in our modern world, we don't really think much about what idolatry is and what it means. I know it's, a, it's the second commandment, the very second commandment to have no idols, to not make for ourselves any idols. But the thing is, really, we, create, we, commit, uh, we commit idolatry. I almost said adultery every day. We commit idolatry. That wouldn't be good either. But we commit idolatry every day. And here's what I mean by that. You can look at it, follow me on this screen. It's idolatry is this. It is the sin of the soul meeting its need with anything that distances it from God. Idolatry is the sin of the soul meeting its need with anything that distances it from God. Now I want you to think, I'm, there's going to be some statements that are going to be on the screen. I want you to think as honestly as possible today. You don't have to move, you don't have to raise your hand, you don't have to nod. I just want us to think about this right here. Think about these statements Here's the first one. I only have a few. It says, I think about money a lot, as in getting more of it. Sometimes I fantasize about winning the lottery or coming into a big inheritance. I have a mental wish list of the things I'd like to buy if money were no object. Look at this one. Should be the next one. Yeah. I have missed important family events in order to pursue my career. I justify it by telling myself and my family that this is what it takes to provide for them. I tell myself that if I keep working hard, I will reach a level where I will be able to relax a little and spend more time with the people that I love. Now, just think about these as honestly as possible. Let's look at the next one. I have desires that I prefer not to have my spouse know about. If I am confronted by any of those desires, I become defensive and try to justify it. Let's look at this, this last one here. It says, if my doctor told me I had to give up alcohol, cigarettes, certain foods, sugar, caffeine, etc., whatever, because it was seriously putting my health at risk, I would find it difficult to the point of being impossible. I likely would not tell anyone in order to avoid accountability. And then consider this last statement right here. I love God, and I want to more closely follow Him. But there is one thing that always seems to get in the way, and it is fill in the blank. See, if our soul is devoted to something that becomes more important to us than God, then that's what God calls an idol. And we can't have anything in our life that's more important than God. Oh, we can, but it's not good for us. It's never good for us. 
See, I believe that's where a lot of us are right there, that, that one, right? I love God, and I want to more closely follow Him. I believe that. I believe deep in our hearts we really do. I believe deep in our hearts we really want to love God more. We want to follow Him closer. But for whatever reason, there's always something in our path, something in our souls that always seems to just get in the way. And we allow that to get in the way, and we don't ever let God be God and bigger than that thing. For whatever reason, it's off limits. For whatever reason, we don't have enough courage or faith or conviction to give it over to the Lord, to walk away from it and truly trust Him. You see, the soul, look at this statement, the soul truly desires and needs God. Our soul's need is God and God alone. And it is never satisfied without Him. It's never satisfied without Him. See, the thing about idols is this. We can't just replace an idol simply by turning away from an idol. We have to turn towards something. And that's something that, we're in, that we have to turn towards in order to truly turn away from the idol is God. Turn away from, that's what the Bible calls repentance. It's doing what's called a 180. All right, you, you're in one direction facing one thing, and then God says, you know, that's not the best for you. It's not what's right for you. It's not what is good for you. It's not what I have for you that really is going to answer the need in your heart, in your life. You need to turn away from it, and you need to pursue me. See, we don't just turn away from and not turn towards anything. We have to turn towards God. You know, Jesus turned towards God. He had to do the very same thing. That's why he is our high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. Hebrews 4 tells us that we have a high priest who is not distant from us, who, does it, who is not ignorant of our issues and our, and our first world problems and our sin problems and our selfish problems and all that. No, but he was able to do it. And he had to turn to God himself. And I believe right here in Matthew 4, we're going to learn a few things about this that we can learn how we as well can walk, can turn away from whatever and turn towards God more in our life. You see the thing about it, you should be in Matthew 4 by now. When entering a new season, in a new season in our life with God, here's the thing. It requires that we turn away from whatever has our heart's affections and turning more of our affection and our devotion in a greater way towards the Lord. In order to enter a new season, we have to turn away from things and turn towards more of God. We see this with the children of Israel. Moses was leading them out of the promised land. Excuse me, leading them into the promised land. I'll get this thing right one way or another by today. <laughs> leading them out of Egypt towards the promised land. And one of the first things they did was, was they, they created this golden calf, and they began to worship it. And we think, we read that story, and we think, man, that's so stupid. You're going to worship some piece of golden calf? But we, have to be, we can't be too quick to call something stupid that we're guilty of in our, in our day and time as well. We might not take gold and belt it down and make it into a golden calf, but we do worship things that aren't really what we need to worship. 
But they had to face that. Jesus had to face that. He was entering into a new season of life. He was about to start his public ministry. He had a three-and-a-half-year trek of ministry where he was going to do the thing. He was going to preach. He was going to teach. He was going to heal. He was going to deliver. He was going to show people that the kingdom of God was truly present. And at this moment, it was in, in this earth, and it was here to change people's lives for the good. And he had to face his idols. So that's the story we're going to look at here in Matthew chapter 4. And I want to tell you this, that whatever you are facing today, whatever you're facing today that's in that blank that we were just looking at on the screen, whatever you're facing today that God and the Holy Spirit is challenging you to say, hey, turn away from, turn away from, that I want to tell you that God's grace is sufficient for you to do just that. I want you to know that you got to believe that, and you got you got to have that in your mind right now as we begin this message today is this, is that God's grace is sufficient to help you turn away from and turn towards Him. It's not in your own power and your own strength. It's not in your own wisdom. It's not in, in any of that. It's simply a yielding and a surrendering of your heart to the Lord that God's grace is sufficient to help all of us turn away from whatever and turn more towards Him. I want you to understand that. I want you to know that it, you've got to be dependent on God's grace. I think there's some in here today, you've been way too far dependent upon your own strength. You've been trying to, been trying to make it happen out of your own ability, out of your own accord, out of your own power, but it's never happened for you and it will never happen to you unless you depend fully on God's grace. Amen? So let's look at this story. I believe we're going to look at it in three ways. I think there are three main areas where our souls can have idols. Three main areas where idols can take up space in our soul. Let's look at the first one, verse 3, Matthew 4, verse 3. Jesus was led out into the wilderness. He was just baptized, water baptized by John. He was going, and the, and the Holy Spirit led him out into the wilderness for 40 days and nights to fast and to pray. And it's right here where he faced temptations of idols. Verse 3, it says, During that time the devil came and said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This first area where idols can take up space in our soul is this area, the area of self-provision. The area of self-provision. The devil told Jesus, hey, turn those stones into bread. You're hungry. Go ahead, feed yourself. You can make this happen for your life. Go ahead, meet your need. The area of self-provision, it tempts us to provide for ourselves without honoring, obeying, and trusting God. We can all be faced with this. We can all have not only the temptation, but we can allow idols to be set up in our life the more we give in to this temptation, the area of self-provision. This happens when we avoid doing things by God's Word. We, for some reason, we think we don't, that God doesn't know what He's talking about. For some reason, we start to take on the mindset that I know God might have said that, but if he really was aware of my condition and my situation and my disposition in life right now, he would do it this way or that way, not that way. So I'm going to do it my way because I really think my way is going to fix it. 
My way is going to meet that need. My way is going to make it happen. Right? I know I ain't preaching to anybody here today. This is for when we go live on TV. No, I'm just kidding. We ain't going live on TV. But what does God's Word say? God's Word says the tithe. But what happens? We either don't or we don't do it consistently as a worship to God. We do it when it's convenient and it fits our budget, right? God says to live generously, but sometimes we don't. We live stingy and we live greedy, holding on to everything we can. We don't share with others. It's one of the first things you teach your kids, right? Learn to share. Boy, isn't that a struggle? Sometimes it's a struggle at 40 years old. What does God's Word say? God's Word says don't fall prey to get-rich-quick schemes. But what do we sometimes do? We put our money in the earth where Jesus says moth and rust destroy. That's what happens. God says don't manipulate people and situations in order to get the upper hand. But what do we do sometimes? We all have all the reasons in the world on why and how we can get what we want no matter what. We'll fib, we'll twist the truth just a tad, just a smidget, just so we can get what we want, right? We're not always the most forthright individuals. I know we're still battling our flesh. But God's Word, God's Word says to, hey, exercise good stewardship overall in your life. But sometimes we forget that, and we spend more than we should, and we buy stuff we don't need, right? We invest our time and and our money in places that really it shouldn't, that's where we shouldn't put ourselves. And sometimes we really don't know where our time or our money even went. And that's a good indicator. If you don't know where your time or your money even goes, that's a good indicator that you're not being a good steward. And we said we have this area called self-provision, thinking, well, I can do it my way. I know what God says. Some, maybe when it's right and convenient, I'll do it his way. But, you know, I... Shoot, I'm alive and well. I'm working. I got my life. I got stuff I need. And I'll just start to bend it and twist it, and I'll just interject myself in these things, and I'll make this stuff happen for my life. You see, this area of self-provision must be overcome in our life if we want to have peace in our souls. See, the thing is, at the end of the day, we, we might do it that way sometimes. We might do it our way, but we really don't have real peace in our souls. So what do we do? How do we overcome this area of self-provision? Well, I believe we do what Jesus did. Jesus turned to God. He was faced with the temptation, and he told the devil, no, the Word of God says, God says this. See, that's why you got to know the Word. That's why I tell you, read the devotions, read the Word, pray, get in your Bibles. Why? Because you need to know the Word if you're going to be able to combat the enemy with what God's Word says. And actually get it right in the context. Not just pulling out some token, throwing it at the enemy. But in context, what it really means. How do we turn? What happens when we turn to God? This is what happens when we turn to God in this area. When we're tempted to have this area of self-provision run our life. Is this. We put complete trust in God for all things. That's what happens when we turn to God. When we stop making provision for us and we allow God to be our provider, we put our whole trust in Him. It, we live with this deep confidence that really, 
this deep confidence that God really is my provider, and I'm not. I have responsibility to oversee and steward it, but at the end, really, the way it works is God is the one who gets it to me. Amen? When you turn to God, you put complete trust. You live with deep confidence, and you trust. Really, God has a plan as to how he wants to get whatever he wants to get to you when he wants to get it to you. And it might not always come just through your job. You should never limit God's source of blessing to be limited just to your job, your paycheck. You should allow yourself to trust God enough, we all should, to see how God can meet our needs in many different ways. Now, it might not come the way we want it to. It might come as a pride buster. Man, God, you meet my need that way. People are going to think I'm poor. What does it matter? Didn't your need just get met? See, there might just be a little ego that has to get challenged and, and broke up just a little bit because that ego has become your golden calf, right? See, just when we think we have God figured out and how he's going to make a way, then he just goes all around and busts up the system and breaks it all to pieces. It's like, no, I'm going to do it my way because I want you to know you have to depend on me and not a system, not a structure, not an organization, you need to understand that when you put yourself in my care, that I am going to be a good God to you, the Lord my shepherd, I shall not want. Amen? Let's look at the next area. You guys with me? Verse 5. It says, Then the devil took him to the only city, or excuse me, to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. And he said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. Everybody say, Jump off. Jump off, for the scriptures say, look at the devil quoting some word. The scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus said, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. The second area where idols can set up space in our soul is the area of self-power self-power that the devil told him, hey, jump off. Ain't nothing going to happen to you. You know God's word says he'll bless you, he'll take care of you, he'll guard you, he'll protect you. This area of self-power tempts us to hold the power and the control of our will instead of embracing God's will for our life. Jesus started off his ministry by teaching the disciples to pray, and he ended his ministry by showing them how to pray through the most hardest, difficult situation, and that is this, your kingdom come, God, your will be done, not my will, your will, right? You know that, that part of the, 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 the uh, scriptures that say, this is the day the Lord has made, rejoice and be glad in it. The Lord has been challenging me here lately to say that on one of the first minutes of my day before the day happens it's easy to say it at the end of the day when that whole day's gone good oh yeah bless the lord this is the lord the, this is the day the lord has made i will rejoice i'll go to bed happy because my day's been good but try saying that before your day even gets started knowing that whatever day you wake up and breathe whatever day we've been given to live it is the lord's day he has made it and he's been challenging me to still say that with faith, that no matter, to not live in fear of what might happen that day, 
what may come my way that day, but to still rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? So not my will, but your will be done. This happens when we buy into the lies of the world. Anybody that thinks the, the world doesn't lie, they don't know much. The world says, hey, you can do anything you want so long as you're happy, right? A couple of you think that's true. It's true. You can date whoever you want to date. You can marry whoever you want to marry. You can live with whoever you want to live with. You can sleep and have sex with anybody you want to do that with. You can drive anything you want to drive. You can work anywhere you want to work as long as you are happy. Right? Right? You know this is the truth. The world says, hey, it's your life. Live it by whatever pleases you. Right? It got quiet in this gym church today. See, this thing about this message series is this, is we're going to be challenged on how we do our life. I'm not the one doing it. God's Word is the one doing it, okay? Because I have you know, God challenges me on this stuff every day. Just like He does you. The world says it's your life. Live it by what pleases you. Now watch nobody come to church next week. It won't be because I was telling you what you wanted to hear, right? Nobody, everybody's afraid to say anything. <laughs> come on. See, the world lies to us. It says, hey, you live your life by what pleases you. It lies to us, and he says this. You can live by what pleases you just like the devil did Jesus. Live by whatever pleases you. Go ahead and jump off. Live it how you want to live. And he says this. God will still protect you. Oh, you can live your life. Live it by what makes you happy. Live it by what pleases you. God will still hold you up. Go ahead. Live your life happy. Live it by what pleases you because God says uh, you, you won't ruin your life. See, and unfortunately, Christians get in, fall prey into this mentality and this lifestyle that we can do what we want to do just because it makes us happy. We can be with whoever, go with whoever, live wherever, do whatever we want to do. You fill in the blank just because it pleases us. Now, God is not against happiness. God is not against what pleases us so long as he is the one who makes it happen. All right? But the world's lies say you can still do that because God will still take care of you. God will still bless you. God will still hold you up. God will still protect you in all of this mess. And, we, and we, we start to buy into that and believe that because we start to look at other people's life. And we start to see, well, they're getting by with it. They seem to be doing okay. Surely I can just go ahead and do that myself. And that's just a big no-no. We don't live our life comparing our life by somebody else's life. We live our life comparing it by what Jesus says to do. Amen? See, but this area of self-power, our will and not God's will must be overcome if we want peace in our souls. If we want peace in our souls. And what do we do? We do what Jesus did. He turned to God. What happened when he turned to God? That means we do this. We accept God's will for our life over what we want. We accept our will over our life. Or excuse me, we, when we don't do that, we accept God's will over our life. And that's what he calls us to do. Consider these words out of Proverbs. Trust in the Lord 
with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which, which path to take. But we have to trust him. We have to embrace his will over our will. When we turn to God, we live with God in control of our life, and we are no longer the ones holding the reins, steering the direction in which we shall go. We live it by the way God wants us to live it. You see, when we trust God with regard to our relationships, our education, when we trust God with regards to our location, where we live and what we do and all that stuff, when we trust him with our life, God's will will lead us where God's will wants us. God's will will get us with the person that he wants us to be with. God's will will get us to the place of work where God's will wants us to be at. God's will will have us live where God's will wants us to live. If it's God's will, then it's God's will. But he'll allow us to get our will be done if we're just that insistent and stubborn on it. But in the end, it will not lead to the right path that God has for our life. And we'll sit back and look at what in the world went wrong with my life. I thought I was doing good by all this stuff. But it wasn't God's will. His will, not our will. And the third and final area is this. Verse 8. It says, Next the devil took him up to the peak of a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said, I will give it all to you. All the kingdoms and all their glory, I'll give it all to you. He said, if you will just kneel down and worship me. Jesus told him, he said, get out of here, Satan, for the scriptures say, God's word says you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. This third area where idols can take up space in our soul is this, is the area of self-prestige. He said, kneel down and worship me. You can have everything you see, and you can have the credit for it. You can get all the credit for what all the things you can have and possess in your life. This area of self-prestige, it tempts us to possess achievements and success, wealth, rank, etc., at the expense of losing our own soul. Sure, we can have all that. Any one of us who are smart enough and creative enough and driven enough, you can have it all. Sure can. But it's at the expense of losing our own souls if it's us making it and not God. God's not against wealth. He's not against success. He's not against having a position of any kind or any of that. And he's not against it because he knows if we are in that and have that according to his will and his way, then we're going to use it in a way that's going to honor him and help people know him. It's a big difference. Consider what Jesus said this in Matthew 16. He said, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you lose your own soul? Or the question to it again is this, what good is it to gain the whole world outside if our whole inside world, our soul, collapses? can't enjoy it anyways if you have no peace inside see this happens when we love the world more than we love God and this is really where it comes down right here when we love the world more than we love God we live in this area of self prestige 
It says this. It says we, it doesn't matter who we step on. It doesn't matter who we ignore. It doesn't matter who we overlook. It doesn't matter what we do with, with our time. It doesn't matter where I invest my gift and skills and abilities. It doesn't matter where I, where I put my money and my treasure. It doesn't matter so long as I'm possessing, so long as I'm gaining, so long as I'm moving up the ladder, so long as I'm getting more and more and more. And at the end of the day, I can say, I did this. I achieved this. Look at my shelf, look at my wall and see the accolades and see the plaques and see the trophies and, and look at my bank account and look at my car and look at my house and look at my clothes and look at all of these things. I attained all of this. I'm looking good in the neighborhood. The area of self-prestige causes us to have idols of self made images that we did this. And we forget. We forget that there were people there ahead of us. We forget that there were people we stepped over. You see, the same people we step over to get somewhere are going to be the same people that we see when we fall down. And we're going to need to reach back up and say, can you help a brother out? And they're going to be like, I don't know. You sure didn't help me when I needed it. But if they're real good and they love Jesus, they're going to say, I know you didn't really mean it because you were blinded, but sure, I'll help you out because that's what Jesus says to do. Amen? See, the anytime, anytime we're ever supposed to be looking down on somebody, as long as we are helping, reach out our hand to help pull them up. Because, see, you're at a place where you can do that. That's why God elevates and moves us and blesses us is so we can reach in and help pe help pull people up and out. See, this area has got to be overcome in our soul if we really want peace in our souls with God. What do we do? How do we overcome this self-prestige place in our life? We turn to God. Jesus turned to God, we turned to God, we then we turn to God, we develop a greater love for God than we do for this world. This world is alluring. That's what the, the Apostle John says in 1 John 2, he says, listen, do not love this world nor the things it offers you, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. When we love the world more, we have less love in our heart for God. And it shows. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and our possessions. Take pride in all that stuff. So these are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God, this is good, will live forever. Do what pleases God, live forever. You see, when we turn to God and we're tempted to rely on ourselves and to possess and have and achieve and gain and all that stuff, we turn to God. But not only do we love Him more, but it, what it does, it puts God first. God only fits in one place in our life, He only fits well and good and secure in first place. There's no room for God anywhere else but first place. And when he's first place, it enables us to have a desire 
to want more of him. I want to love God more. I want to follow him more closely. But there's always this one thing that gets in the way. What is that one thing today? There's always going to be something. But what is that one thing today in our heart, in our souls today? You see, the soul's desire, the soul's desire is this, and that is it needs God. And separated and without God, truly connected with God, it's never satisfied. Never at peace. So what area of our soul needs God today? What area? You want your soul to be at peace? If we want our souls to be at peace, then here's what it means. We've got to turn away from and turn towards Jesus. And when we do that, we put complete trust in Him. We accept His will over our will. And we actually will learn to love Him more and more. That actually we'll discover loving Him, loving Jesus is not so bad. It's really what my soul's been needing this whole time. Let's stand our feet.